from the voice and spiritual education by hiram corson this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org can reading be taught is a question often asked and partly for the reason it may be that so many readers who have gone through courses of vocal training in schools of elocution or under private teachers so frequently offend people of taste and culture by an extravagance of expression by mimetic gesture and by offensive mannerisms of various kinds but a reasonable inference cannot be drawn from such readers that vocal training must necessarily do more harm than good yes much can be taught and is taught and well taught it may be the desideratum is the education intellectual and spiritual especially the latter without which the mere teaching and training are vain and impotent the organs of speech can be brought by intelligent training into a complete obedience to the will and the feelings and without this obedience of his vocal organs a reader whatever be his other qualifications cannot do his best he is in the position of a musical performer who has sympathetically assimilated the composition he is rendering but whose instrument is badly out of tune a reader may have the fullest possible appreciation of the subject matter intellectual and spiritual of a poem and a susceptibility to all the subtlest elements of effect involved in its form but if he have not full control of his vocal faculties he can but imperfectly reveal through his voice his appreciation and susceptibility this control can be secured only by long and intelligent training the voices generally of even the most cultivated people have gone more or less astray and need to be brought back from the error of their ways before they can serve effectively to interpret a literary product many great poets have written subtly organic verse who could not vocally realize its potentialities they not having their organs of speech sufficiently under control samuel taylor coleridge is an example among coleridge's accomplishments says de quincey alluding in his literary reminiscences to coleridge's lectures on poetry and the fine arts at the royal institution good reading was not one he had neither voice nor management of voice but he must imaginatively have heard the wonderful verse of christabel and kubla khan as an organic inseparable part of the poetical expression mere literary skill could not have produced such verse it was a texture woven by the spirit which he could not adequately exhibit to the physical ear 
as he was not master of the physical means for so doing to read naturally is a common and a very vague phrase the question is what is nature it is the object of the science and art of reading to realize as fully as possible the imperfectly realized instincts of the voice there is a power in science which searches discovers amplifies and completes and which all the strength of spontaneous effort can never reach when people speak of the natural in expression they generally mean nature on the plane on which they are best acquainted with it the plane of common speech but the language of the higher poetry or of tragedy or even of impassioned prose is more or less an idealized language for the expression of which a corresponding idealization of voice is demanded to read for example milton's apostrophe to light at the beginning of the third book of paradise lost after the manner of common speech would be somewhat absurd the idealization of voice demanded for the reading of such language is not however a departure from nature but is nature on a higher plane enter into the spirit of what you read read naturally and you will read well is about the sum and substance of what archbishop whateley teaches on the subject in his elements of rhetoric similar advice might with equal propriety be given to a clumsy stiff-jointed clodhopper in regard to dancing enter into the spirit of the dance dance naturally and you will dance well the more he might enter into the spirit of the dance the more he might emphasize his stiff-jointedness and his clodhopperishness of this distinguished advocate of natural reading and speaking mr grant writing in eighteen thirty five says oratory is not his forte he goes through his addresses in so clumsy and inanimate a way that noble lords at once come to the conclusion that nothing so befits him as unbroken silence he speaks in so low a tone as to be inaudible to those who are any distance from him and not only is his voice low in its tones but it is unpleasant from its monotony in his manner there is not a particle of life or spirit you would fancy his grace to be half asleep while speaking you see so little appearance of consciousness about him that you can hardly help doubting whether his legs will support him until he has finished his address the writer of this justly says of the archbishop's writings they abound with evidences of profound thought varied knowledge great mental acuteness and superior powers of reasoning but his natural theory in regard to speaking did not it appears avail with him even when backed by such abilities nature says the archbishop 
or custom which is a second nature suggests spontaneously the different modes of giving expression to different thoughts feelings and designs which are present to the mind of any one who without study is speaking in earnest his own sentiments then if this be the case why not leave nature to do her own work impress but the mind fully with the sentiments etc to be uttered withdraw the attention from the sound and fix it on the sense and nature or habit will spontaneously suggest the proper delivery such instruction as this is not unlike that which hamlet gives to guildenstern for playing upon a pipe and would be in the majority of cases hardly more efficacious govern these ventages with your fingers and thumb give it breath with your mouth and it will discourse most excellent music look you these are the stops guildenstern replies but these cannot i command to any utterance of harmony i have not the skill the last sentence tells the whole story the archbishop with all his great abilities had not the requisite skill in oratorical delivery so this may be said to be the conclusion of the whole matter the main result which can be secured in teaching reading and in training the voice is technique and elocutionary skill of various kinds a skill which the student can bring into his service when voicing his intellectual appreciation and spiritual assimilation of a poem or any other form of spiritualized thought the illumination of the subject matter intellectual and spiritual must come from the being of the reader he can't give to his hearers what he doesn't possess the saying of madame de sévigné il faut être si l'on veut paraître is applicable to the reader an attempt to express what is beyond the range of his spiritual life and experience at once betrays his deficiency and no amount of mere vocal training will compensate for this deficiency there are two unwarrantable assumptions in what dr whateley writes about elocution one that a reader or speaker can do with an untrained voice what his mind wills or his feelings impel him to do not one in a thousand can two that all principles of elocution which may be taught will continue in the consciousness of the reader or speaker that he will be ever thinking of the vocal functions which he exercises the reader's attention he says being fixed on his own voice the inevitable consequence would be that he would betray more or less his studied and artificial delivery all true culture to be true must be unconscious of the processes which induced it but before it is attained one must be more or less under the law 
until he become a law to himself and do spontaneously and unconsciously what he once had to do consciously and with effort it may be that dr whateley's views in regard to elocution were somewhat the reactionary product of the highly artificial style of pulpit oratory which appears to have been the fashion in the dublin of his day he was a man of such perfect honesty and integrity with such a resulting aversion to sham and empty display of every kind that he came to regard all training in vocal delivery as unfavourable to genuineness his theory was fully confirmed he may have felt by some of the popular theatrical preachers around him who made a display of themselves and who in the archbishop's words aimed at nothing and hit it when i was a small boy at school sixty years ago all the scholars had to read aloud twice a day the several classes standing while they read and towing a chalk line the books used were the new testament and lindley murray's english reader the standard instruction imparted was very limited but very good so far as it went namely speak distinctly and mind your stops each boy read at a time but a single verse of the new testament or a single paragraph of the english reader the master himself first reading a verse or a paragraph each time the reading went around the class well the result was that all the boys acquired at least a distinct articulation and a fluent utterance properly sectioned off by their minding the stops some of the boys of whom i was one had to read aloud at home from other books when i showed by my expression or rather by my want of it that i did not understand what i was reading i was at once told so the passage was explained and read to me and i had to read it again to show that i had caught the meaning and the proper expression if i were required to read something which was entirely new to me my eye was exercised in running ahead of my voice and taking in what was coming to the extent of a sentence or two in order to read with sufficient expression not to be stopped as i was very impatient of interruption especially if i particularly enjoyed the subject matter when i look back upon these daily exercises in reading at school and at home i feel that nothing could have been better at the time there was no such thing as speaking a piece with gesture limbs all going like a telegraph in motion and straining after effect it was simply careful honest reading with no attempt at make-believe of feeling no encouragement was given to any affectation of that kind but whatever impressed my listeners as genuine feeling and appreciation on my part was duly praised and i was very fond of praise and was stimulated by it to do my best i fear that such reading has very much gone out of use 
and that untimely technical instruction has taken its place call on a college student to read any prose passage extempore and what is the result in ninety-nine cases out of a hundred why he will read it experto credite in a most bungling way with an imperfect articulation without any proper grouping or perspective and if the passage be an involved and long suspended period which his eye should run along and grasp as a whole in advance of his voice he will be lost in it before he get half-way through it he has had little or no practice in reading aloud he has parsed much in the lower schools but his parsing has not resulted in synthesis which should be the sole object of all analysis has not resulted in a knowledge of language as a living organism and the consequence is that his extempore vocalization of the passage is more or less chaotic and afflicting extempore reading requires that the eye be well trained to keep ahead of the voice and to take in a whole period or a whole stanza in order that each part of it be read with reference to the whole that is with the proper perspective to do this demands an almost immediate synthetic grasp the result of much training the perspective of speech is virtually a part of the meaning one who reads without perspective does not give his hearers the exact meaning for the reason that subordinate parts standing out as prominently as leading parts the hearer does not get a correct impression of their various degrees of importance unless he do for himself what the reader should do and certainly not many hearers are equal to this not one in a thousand our estimates of all things are more or less relative so that perspective plays a large part in whatever we take account of what would a picture be without perspective but it is of equal importance of greater importance indeed in the vocal presentation of language a true perspective demands on the part of the reader the nicest sense of the relative values of successive and involved groups or sections of thought those belonging to the main current of thought being brought to the front with a fullness of expression and the subordinate groups or sections according to their several degrees of subordination being thrown back with a corresponding reduction of expression along with this the whole must have that toning which reveals the spirit of the whole could there be any better test than reading of a student's knowledge of the organic structure of the language and the extent to which the thought is spiritualized hardly the ordinary examinations of the schools through questions are wholly inadequate for getting at such knowledge for evoking a student's sense of the life of the language as an organ of the intellectual and the spiritual 
technical knowledge is a good thing in its way but a knowledge of life in whatever form is a far better thing and it is only life that can awaken life technical knowledge by itself is only dry bones the technical indeed cannot by itself be appreciated it must be appreciated as an expression of life as an expression of the plastic spirit of thought and feeling reading must supply all the deficiencies of written or printed language it must give life to the letter how comparatively little is addressed to the eye in print or manuscript of what has to be addressed to the ear by a reader there are no indications of tone quality of voice inflection pitch time or any other of the vocal functions demanded for a full intellectual and spiritual interpretation a poem is not truly a poem until it is voiced by an accomplished reader who has adequately assimilated it in whom it has to some extent been born again according to his individual spiritual constitution and experiences the potentialities so to speak of the printed poem must be vocally realized what shelley in his lines to a lady with a guitar says of what the revealings of the instrument depend upon may be said with equal truth of the revealings of every true poem it will not tell to those who cannot question well the spirit that inhabits it it talks according to the wit of its companions and no more is heard than has been felt before by those who endeavour to get at its secrets good reading is a vocal manifestation of responsiveness on the part of the reader to the hieroglyphic letter end of the opening sections of the voice and spiritual education by hiram corson read by martin geeson in hazelmere surrey